Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You're listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thanks uh, for taking the time today. If you have been listening to Faith Radio today, I hope the programming has been exceptional, and I hope to continue that trend today. I know I'm going to have a lot of fun with my guests because I've got great guests coming up. Uh, Dr. Uh, Phil Collins is going to be joining me in just a second. He is the executive editor of the Abide Bible, which, by the way, is a fantastic Bible. I have one myself, and I love it. And then... uh, uh, Pastor Robert Morgan will be joining me in the second half of the hour. And then in hour two, we're going to continue our prayer series. Dr. Peter Kapsner and myself will talk to Daniel Henderson from Strategic Renewal. He is all about corporate prayer, and boy, is he uh, a great insight to prayer. I can't wait for the day. So I'm going to start with a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The word of Scripture should never stop sounding in your ears and working in you all day long, just like the words of someone you love. Do not ask, how shall I pass this on? But what does it say to me? Then ponder this word long in your heart until it has gone right into you and taken possession of you. Wow, what a great way to study the word. Dr. Phil Collins is the executive editor of the Abide Bible, and he's uh, with me right now. Phil, welcome. Well, thank you, Bill. Thank you very much. How are you today? I'm great. It's nice to have you back on the show. I'm a big fan yeah, of the Bible. It's good to be back. I, I like it very much. Well, thank you. It's uh, a wonderful team effort, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, let's uh, before we get to some of the great things about the Abide Bible, let's uh, start with a little bit of uh, how not to read the Bible. Ah, sure. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of ways that I've read the Bible in. Uh, well, maybe not. Yeah, maybe incorrectly, but at least not in a, in a helpful way, that's for sure. Uh, probably uh, the way that I tend to personally read the Bible a little bit uh, too often is just to read it for information, uh, mm-hmm. kind of like a newspaper, and try to understand the details and uh, the history, and I just like information, and, and you need information. It, it's It's important to... Uh, understand what the Bible actually says. But if you're just reading it like a newspaper and you've kind of got control over what it says, and then you can put it down and say, well, I get that and then move on. That's that's not a particularly helpful way to to really meet and be changed by God uh, is just to read information. And, and then sometimes I just read it for... Um, I don't know, kind of out of guilt, I guess, uh, <laughs> where where I would say... Okay, I need God to do something for me, uh, so I will maybe try to get Him to do what I want Him to do by, uh, you know, reading my Bible a little bit and show Him what a good person I am, or I did something <laughs> bad and now I got to make up for the bad thing, or uh, just like, well, I'm supposed to be a good Christian. I hear good Christians read the Bible, so I better read it. So, yeah, a couple of ways that are not uh, very helpful. Um, maybe just. Uh, reading it as a bunch of rules. I've got friends who've told me, yeah, I read the Bible. It's all these rules and all these things I got to do. And and uh, instead of reading it uh, 
understand who Christ is, who God is, and and understand that we all live by rules. You know, your rules are maybe similar or dissimilar from mine in some areas, driving or how clean uh, your house is or whatever. But uh, the rules in the Bible really tell us about what God values and who he cares about and how he cares about them, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to read the Bible that are, are not as helpful as others. Some some people just read it for a devotional thought of the day. I want a little pick-me-up, a little happy thought. And uh, so they, you know, you kind of have to pick and choose to read the happy thoughts of the Bible. There's an awful lot of the Bible that's harsh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, real life uh, type. So if you're just trying to read for the happy thought, that that's another way that's a tricky way to read the Bible. Because we know that God's Word is a double-edged sword. Uh, that's it, right. It is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a dis- discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So... This is something we we have to engage with fully, and exactly. I, I, you know, I, I, I know we're I, we're not being critical at all of people who might be hearing themselves in some of these descriptions, right? Oh, I've done them all. I, <laughs> yeah, I have too. <laughs> I have too. Um, so we uh, we have to make sure we don't focus on ourselves too. I think we have to treat our study time in God's Word as a complete act of worship to Him. It really is. It's a it's a chance to meet God, to understand how God thinks and what He cares about, what He says about the world, what His uh, overarching plan for all creation is, and uh, just trying to read it just in a kind of a self-centered, selfish, it's all about me way is uh, limiting and makes it more about you. It's it's like, okay, I've been talking about myself all day, and then I ask you finally, so what do you think about me, right? This <laughs> right. is from an old movie. Right. And, uh, and really, it's about God and, and who he is. And uh, now we find ourselves in there for sure, but uh, it's the way to meet God and, and to know him. Yeah. So when, you know, when people say, you should really read the Bible, I mean, that's, those are the most wonderful words you can encourage someone to do. Uh, but the Abide Bible... Uh, is going to give you a little bit of a heads up as to how to better engage with God's Word. Yes, they uh, just reading the Bible, uh, actually kind of the research says if you just read it uh, and don't engage in it, don't soak in it, don't reflect and meditate on it, just kind of reading it doesn't really impact your life at all. In the same way that I could read a math book and not really pay any attention or a history book and just say, yeah, I read the words. I, you know, I didn't really pay attention. It doesn't really impact you and help you to understand math or history. And same way with the scripture, you need to slow down and reflect and really understand and uh, and put yourself in kind of a holistic way in front of the scripture and let it uh, impact your thinking and your feeling and your intentions, uh, just just all of you. And and then it starts to. Uh, you start to yield to the Holy Spirit who uh, has inspired and illuminates the Scripture, and, and the Spirit starts to use uh, the Word to change you. Mm-hmm. Phil, in the Abide Bible, you've got so many great tools. Like for journaling Scripture, you're going to encourage people to, to focus and reflect on Scripture and its meaning for your life. So when you get some some guidance along that way, you know, I think everyone benefits a little from a little bit of coaching when it comes to um, knowing how to do things. Um, so the Abide Bible gives us a chance to understand how to better journal Scripture 
and how to better pray Scripture. And then there's some very interesting uh, parts of the Abide Bible where it asks you to picture it and place yourself in a biblical narrative as a bystander or, or as a participant in this amazing event. And, you know, I find when I do that, it's, um, I don't seem to forget it very quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's well put. Uh, me either. Uh, it, it's, it's much more of an experiential process to put yourself in. It's just not head knowledge, but kind of, again, that holistic, whole person experience that uh, sticks with you longer. Uh, yeah. That, that's a very good way to put it. I heard somebody say, uh, tell me and I'll probably forget. Show me and I might remember. Involve me and I will understand. Yeah, yeah. So when you have these moments of uh, getting yourself in the biblical narrative as a bystander and and showing up and putting yourself there, which is the Abide Bible helps you do, it is a pretty powerful experience. Yeah, for for me too. The uh, process of using your imagination, uh, I think, is invited when uh, Jesus starts to tell stories and the whole Bible's, you know, a huge percentage of it percentage of the Bible is stories, and it's, it's inviting you to participate with your imagination. Mm-hmm. Maybe you give the listeners a, a, an, a, an example of the, of the picture-it uh, tool in the Abide Bible. Yeah, uh, well, uh, kind of uh, one of my favorite way, places to go is the whole process of, uh, of the storm on the sea. This is something that you can read uh, fairly quickly in the Bible, uh, just as far as the disciples get in the boat and Jesus gets in the boat and then the storm comes up and, uh, you know, the disciples are panicking, water's coming in into the boat and uh, they're like, Jesus, wake up, we're going to die here. And Jesus uh, talks to them about faith and then he uh, just with a word calms the seas and everything gets calm and they say, who is this man? And that even the wind and the sea obey him and and the, to go through that and picture yourself getting in the boat and the rocking of the boat, the sun on the back of your neck and, uh, you know, the the movement of the boat and the smell of, you know, probably it was a fishing boat. And then all these disciples that are in it and then the storm comes up, the barometer drops, the temperature changes, the wind hits you, the lightning, most likely the nausea. And uh, yeah, the nausea. Yeah, don't forget that. Yeah, yeah, you've been in a boat. <laughs> I've been in a boat. I've looked at boats and gotten na- nausea. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You know, just to really feel that and then to to watch Jesus react to the disciples and uh, watch the sea calm down, the wind stop so quickly, that, you know, just in this deeply miraculous way and the reaction of the disciples, I I come away fascinated by Jesus in a deeper way than just saying, oh, yeah, Jesus is in control of the storm. Uh, and, it, and it's helpful to me in the storms of my life to recognize that Jesus is here and he's not asleep in a way that means he doesn't care. He, he's right here and, and I can wait and trust. And it's just much more of a kind of a visceral experience of of. Christ being with me, if I imagine it, than just saying, oh, look, those guys had some hard times, but they're fine now. So, Right, yeah. right. Let me take a short break. Dr. Phil Collins is my guest, and he's the editor of The Abide Bible. I've got one in my library, and I love it. After a short uh, break, we promise we'll be right back. 
You're listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. I'm back with Dr. Phil Collins. He's the editor of the Abide Bible. Just had a, a listener, Phil, ask me, do you have to read the Bible or can you listen to it? Oh, very good question. It's a great yeah, question. No, I, I, actually, I think the uh, vast majority of the time, the Bible doesn't really say anything about reading it. It, it says, uh, hear the word of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> listening is is a very powerful way. Some people, some scholars say even that it's written to be listened to. Uh, the vast majority of people around the world are oral learners, even today and throughout history. Listening is an uh, extremely powerful way to uh, connect with Scripture and engage in it. So yeah. I, I suggest you find somebody you like uh, to listen to. There's so many different readers out there, and yeah. some have the the gift and, uh, you know, that fits your pacing and language. But, yeah, I listen to Scripture being read to me all the time. Yeah, I think the question was, uh, is the Abide Bible available uh, in an audio version? Can it? Can you listen to it that way? Not at this point. Okay. Uh, we're kind of at the beginning of the process yeah, yeah. of developing uh, different, uh, I, I don't know if products is the right word, but uh, yeah, it, it, we've talked about it. It's just not been done yet. Mm-hmm. Talk a bit about the uh, contemplate uh, tool in the Abide Bible. Right. So uh, contemplate is a process that's been practiced really for 1,500 years. Uh, It's kind of a four-step process of reading uh, and then meditating, which just simply means repeating, focusing in on some part of what you've read, and then turning that meditation uh, on what you've read into a prayer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the fourth step is really contemplating, uh, which means really just being quiet and being in the presence of the Lord. So these four processes is uh, really, I think anybody who's uh, really spent very much time in scripture kind of naturally does this. Right. They, They read and then they think about what they're reading and then they are convicted or encouraged or amazed and they turn that into a prayer and uh, and really the last part, the contemplating process is, is perhaps the most unpracticed in a lot of churches where, where, where we're just quiet and enjoy the presence of God like you would a good friend after a long day of being with them. It's just nice to be with them and um, yeah, without, I don't know, demanding or speaking or asking. Just um, being in his yeah. presence. Uh, you know, think it's, of the wonder of God. Uh, look at his majesty in awe. Just reflect upon who he is. That's... That's just time to be quiet and, and think. And yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's a life changer to to just be with God and and enjoy Him. Yeah, but when we come across a piece of scripture, isn't it always wise to go, okay, Lord, what what am I supposed to be learning right now? Because you know you can read a passage of scripture a hundred times, and on the hundred and first time, you you get almost a fresh insight that you've never had before because it's um, alive and active. So. Uh, to always ask God, what can I uh, learn? How can I praise you? How can I thank you? How can this convict me of my own sin? Uh, so that's kind of the the contemplation method, more or less, isn't it? It is. Okay. It is. And that, and that process of the 101st time learning something new has always been true for me. If, if I'm really paying attention, now if I'm just skimming, you know, not necessarily, but if I slow down and really pay attention, I have never found 
that something just hasn't connected in a way that's kind of stirred my soul. Mm-hmm. So one of the things the Abide Bible has, too, is some really beautiful uh, photographs uh, and and works of art um, in God's uh, beautiful sculpture, stained glass paintings. It's got a lot of gorgeous uh, pictures in it. Yeah, there are 80, 80, 80 different uh, pieces of artwork in there. And then uh, the goal is to use the artwork as a commentary on the passage. So in the similar way that we would look to a biblical scholar to help us to understand history and uh, context and language, uh, the artist looks at the passage in a certain way and helps us to see what's also in the passage in a way that helps us usually connect in a more uh, emotional way. Uh, the Bible scholar helps us to connect intellectually, which is so very important, and then the artist can help us uh, perhaps feel the passage in a little bit different way, which is also powerful. Yeah, and uh, imagination, that's a, a gift that God has given us, and it's its not just child's play, is it? No, it, it really isn't. I think uh, this is why Jesus uses so many images and uh uh, similes, metaphors, there's so many different types of language that uh, that really help us to connect and uh, see and understand and feel. Uh, it's very important. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the uh, praying scripture using the Abide Bible, because it does offer yeah. some really nice guidelines and, and helpful strategies for doing it. Yeah, praying scripture is kind of a variation on the contemplate process. Uh, process. Uh, But uh, praying scripture, honestly, is my favorite one. Uh, I read a quote by George Mueller about 20 years ago, where he he, he was a ministry person in the 1800s in England, uh, ran a bunch of orphanages. And he he writes about uh, how he comes to scripture, came to scripture, and he uh, basically said, "I, I stumbled on this, nobody taught me. But he would Uh, before he learned to pray scripture, he would pray and then read his Bible. And then what he learned to do is to start with reading the Bible and just turn immediately anything that he was reading about into a prayer. So if it was, uh, you know, from any passage, whether it's the prayers of the Bible or really any passage whatsoever, but the idea is that something in that passage that you're reading is going to spark maybe a a praise for God or a confession of our own sin, something that you're thankful for. And instead of waiting, it would be just to immediately turn it into a prayer. Uh, And I find this so very helpful. It deepens my prayers. uh, It broadens them. I pray about things I wouldn't normally pray about. uh, And I hardly can read scripture anymore without praying about it and, and talking to God about what I'm reading as I'm reading. Uh, not afterwards, but as I go. Mm-hmm. And then are you uh, writing this down, journaling this, and keeping track well, of some of these uh, thoughts you're having? It's a great thing to do. I, I don't. Okay. I love to say that I'm a journaler. My wife is a journaler. There are a large percentage of people that do journal scripture. It's probably the most practiced method of scripture engagement, according to research that we found uh, but I, I don't know if it's I'm doing so much writing the rest of the time or, or what. But uh, that that is I, I've done it and it's been powerful every time I've done it. But uh, 
in the mornings when I, that's just tends to be with the time that I read. Uh, mm-hmm. I've not been a big journaler, but it, it's so important. We make our students here at Taylor write all the time because it clarifies. And writing as you're reading uh, helps you to clarify and articulate prayers and concerns and confessions, and it's a great tool. Mm-hmm. But but I'd be lying to say I'm a big journalist. Yeah, no, that's cool. I don't journal either. Phil, uh, because we, we want to be reading Scripture with a holy attention, so mm, the yeah. question is, would the Abide Bible help me do that? I think so. That's what we've designed it to do, to to have this... Uh, process of coming to the Bible. I I like that phrase, holy attention. And really, I think, Bill, this is about 80% of the battle, is if you come to the Bible and and it's holy that you're looking for, you're looking for for God, you're coming into his presence, and you want to have, you know, an experience with God, uh, where you're like, this is God's word. I am. It's about Him. It's by Him, and I am going to give it my full attention. Almost as if Jesus were going to show up in your room, and you're going to talk to Him. Mm-hmm. And that holy attention uh, awakens you and uh, makes you lean in and and engages you fully. Um, so holy attention is a is a great phrase. Mm-hmm. How would you encourage uh, my listeners to prepare? to hear back from God? You know, do we yeah. give God a chance to communicate back to us? Yeah. Or do we rifle through our prayers in Jesus' name, amen, and then we go on our day and we go, I'm, I didn't take any time to listen or to do anything other than just say my prayers and leave. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's a time to say your prayers and leave, I oh, suppose. Of course. It's better than doing nothing. But, of course. Uh, yeah, the, for, for me, it is uh, slowly reading Scripture brings me into God's presence, and I try to let him speak to me as I'm reading, and then uh, opening up my heart to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I want what you want for me during this time. I want to listen. I'm going to pause. I'm going to wait and try to let you make connections in my life, in my family's life, in my community, my church. Uh, Help me to make the connections you want me to make. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that process is... It is very different than I did my time in the Bible. I did my however many minutes, and I'm out. Yeah, Phil, I know there's be lots of people that would love to get a little peek at the Abide Bible. Yeah, how do you go look at a, a sample chapter? Yeah, uh, th- the best way to do that is to get on the Abide Bible website uh, from Thomas Nelson Bible. So just Google uh, Abide Bible. Thomas Nelson. Okay. Uh, if, if you just do Abide Bible, you'll tend to get places that are selling them. Right. Uh, but if you do Abide Bible Thomas Nelson, uh, you can download uh, some chapters and, nice. and all of that. The whole thing is also available for anybody who has Bible Gateway Plus. Um, you can get the whole thing on there. That's it's available. Sweet. Um, as part of their package. But yeah. yeah, you can you can see what it's all like at that Thomas Nelson website. Yeah. Thank you so much, Phil, for being on the program. Loved having you. Yeah, very good. It's good to have been with you. Thank you. Dr. Phil Collins has been my guest. The Abide Bible, he is the editor. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. 
All right, I am so glad to have back on the program Dr. Rebecca Ree. She's always loved words, even since she was a little kid. And boy, does she know how to use words well. If you've not been to her blog, I recommend you do. Head over to RebeccaRee.net, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-R-H-E-E.net. She's got quite a resume, too. She went to Yale and did her uh, divinity school at, at Yale. And she also got her Ph.D. from Boston University in religion and literature. I like to think of her as my very favorite uh, Hebrew scholar that comes on the program. Rebecca, welcome back. I'm most happy to be here. Yeah. Well, I still appreciate your blog. You always find uh, objects that you write about. And, you know, it's interesting now as we are within the COVID protocol, so to speak, we're, we're looking for uh, structure. And if, like you, you've got a child with special needs. Did I say that right? Yes. Yeah. So structure is really important. And when there's less structure, there's a little bit more chaos, isn't there? Yes, there is. Mm-hmm. But shopping malls uh, apparently has kind of been kind of a lifesaver for your family this winter. It, it has. Say more about and, that. Uh, okay. So um, the story I wanted to talk about today is um, on my um, blog page, and it's labeled there as Golden Sheep. And it's the story of um, a Golden Sheep Christmas ornament that my 8-year-old autistic son was given at a shopping mall recently. Um, but before I get, uh, tell that particular story, I want to introduce it by taking us a few years back in time to the beginning of his life. So that would be about eight years ago, maybe eight plus. And my son had just been born, and my husband and I were caught up in that vortex of first-time parenting. We, you know, extreme sleep deprivation, endless feeding and diaper changes and basically a complete loss of sanity. And (laughs) at some point (laughs) I was chased out of the house for some self care. And I landed in one of those fancy massage chairs at a nail salon and someone was giving me a pedicure and I was just sort of basking in the miracle of it all. And as I sat there, one of the girls came over with um, some magazines to see if I'd like to look at one. And after about a second of glancing at those glitzy covers, I practically started bawling all over her like a lunatic. And <laughs> I feel sorry for her because I think she probably thought I was a complete nut job. But um, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back because after so much stress of having my baby's needs completely take over my needs, having someone look after me for a minute um, kind of released a pressure valve and a lot of tension just blew right out. Mm. And um, what I want to say is that I think that particular reaction may be more common than we think that sometimes something good um, that happens to us releases a torrent of pressure that we need to be ready to deal with in a wise way if we can. Well said. Yeah. Thank you for that. So let's them sidebar that little story for a minute. And let's talk about shopping malls and how important they are to special needs families. And I don't know how it is for other families, but when school lets out for vacation, my husband and I kind of brace for impact because we count on school to give our son routine, structure, services, social opportunities, all kinds of important things that he needs 
And over vacation, we have to figure out how to replace those things. And, of course, we can't replace all of those things, but we have to figure out how do we fill our days so that we can meet his needs, our needs, and try to avoid meltdowns um, if we can. And, you know, and also possibly make some nice family memories if we can. Um, So last winter break, you know, that was a lot of time. It was um, a little over a week to fill. And it was too cold. It was bitterly cold up here in the Northeast. And so it was too cold to do much of anything over winter break. And COVID was certainly limiting our choices. So we chose to visit various shopping malls, you know, lots of space to walk and socially distance. And um, for our son, it was um, the opportunity to practice some social skills because there's other people around um, and there's things to do, but you know, no, nothing too close that would make us worry. Like we, we considered museums, but we thought, no, nah, it's going to be a little too crowded, and we, didn't, we weren't comfortable with that. So um, here's the rub, though, about uh, shopping malls. Um, a little while back, our son had, like, the worst meltdown ever um, in his life at a shopping mall. And since then, uh, my husband and I have always been a little PTSD about taking him back because we just have this memory of him just like absolutely flailing about. And my husband and I ended up, I mean, basically pick him up and like physically carrying, carry him in this like fighting mania Mm. um, to the car. And it, it was horrible. It was just, it was what really triggered us into getting him into a lot of therapy. So we still have that to carry those memories around. And so, you know, we're very, very uh, edgy about taking him back to, to shopping malls. And we've, we've had to re- rethink um, a lot about how do we do this. Um, and we've, we have rethought a lot about how we do that. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of stimulation in a shopping mall when you think about it. You know, with, as people that don't have autism, we're, we're able to filter out a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But for a kid who, with autism, you don't have those filters everything's coming at you the same. And whenever my son sees something spinning or flashing or making a cool noise, he bolts. He just bolts after it. And then we're in trouble um, because then it's not safe or who knows what's going to go. So now what we do is we use a special medical stroller. It's it's a bigger stroller. So like it's used actually for people transporting an adult, like from a car to an ambulance or something. It's quite big. So we could still put him in. Um, and so our son sits in it half the time, and he has a place where he's kind of grounded, so we can push him around, and he can look at the stimulation and not be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets up and walks half the time holding his mom or his dad's hand. So, um, And then the whole time, we're watching him like a hawk. So, you know, um, that's one thing we do. We use that stroller. And then the other thing that we encourage him to do is we, we tell him all the time, use your words, use your words. So if we can get him to answer a yes or no question, like, would you like to go up the escalator? Yes or no. Or would you like to see this, you know, the animal, the pet store? Yes or no. Well, that makes the trip a lot more manageable too, right? So, you know, um, using the stroller and getting him to use his words, we're, we're getting, we're, we're, we're finding, slowly finding the way to make this um, a success story when we go to the mall. So, um, one thing I wanted to try this this winter break was um, I wanted to test um, our new way of visiting shopping malls, and I wanted to make a new rule. I wanted to say, you know, I'm going to let my son go wherever he wants to go in the shopping mall as long as it's, as it's safe 
and as long as he's acting appropriately. You know, if something piques his interest, like if he sees something in a store, I'm going to let him go over and look at it um, as long as he, you know, keeps to those two conditions. He's, you know, holding my hand and he's acting appropriately, you know, because that's why we're there. He's there to, like, walk around, be amongst other people and, you know, um, have some opportunities to look at things. So, you know, we took him to various malls, and, you know, the mall question that I'm talking about today, at first he did the normal things. He likes to ride the elevator. He likes to ride the escalator. And we were rather in a, in a rather ritzy mall um, the day in question I'm talking about. And the three of us were kind of enjoying the, flo- the floors were really polished. There was soft music being piped in. There were beautiful holiday decorations. And none of the storefronts had been abandoned um, if you, you know, one of the results of COVID is a lot of you, when you go to the mall, a lot of the storefronts are closed because a lot of the stores are closed. So there was a lot to look at. So we were ambling along. We were pushing my son in the stroller when he suddenly leaps out and he makes a beeline towards a clothing store. And <laughs> as I write in the blog, it should really be called a clothier because <laughs> it's the kind of place that has like wood paneling on the walls and silk ties that are fanned out on the tables and neatly folded cashmere sweaters. And um, it's just not the kind of place that you take a kid who flails around like a Tasmanian devil. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, immediately my, you know, alarm bells start going off. But I remembered sort of the the inner commitment I had made to my son that he could go where he wanted to go as as long as he acted appropriately. So I take his hand and I try to figure out what it is he wants from the store. And as soon as we get over there, I see that his eyes are glued to a gorgeous brass chandelier that's hanging right at the entrance. And he is just standing stock still and staring at the chandelier. And then he takes a step back or two. And he just hops up and down and he's just, you know, staring at it in delight. And then he, you know, goes forward and stands right underneath it. And then he comes back a couple of steps and hops up and down again. And he just does this for a few seconds. And as he's doing this and I'm holding his hand, a very smartly dressed salesman comes over. And I can, you know, I think he's wondering, like, what exactly is going on here? And he stops and, you know, I say to him, I think my son is interested in your chandelier. And that is all that I say to him because, which is actually very unusual for me because I, I often feel very pressured to explain my son's diagnosis to other people. Um, but for some reason, and I don't know what it was, I just didn't do it this time. Um, I just let my son be because he was just so wrapped up in his little moment of delight. He wasn't doing anything bad. And I didn't want to disturb that. I just wanted to let him be who he was. And the salesman seemed quite comfortable with that. So we just chatted. I just asked him, like, who has to polish that thing? (laughs) He was like, I don't know, not me. (laughs) And so we just chatted. And and the only thing that I did that might have given the salesman a clue that things weren't, you know, that my son wasn't neurotypical was I just bent down and I said, chandelier, like I said it very close, uh, slowly so that my son could know what the word was. And that was all I did. And suddenly the salesman turns to me and he says, would your son like a Christmas ornament? And, you know, it takes me a few moments to sort of process that question because I'm still 
trying to make sure that, you know, everything stays copacetic and that we're still, we're still not going to get in trouble in this very, very fancy store. Cause I, you know, even I'm a little bit intimidated by my surroundings. And when I get managed to get my mouth to say, yes, um, the salesman like disappears to the back of the store and returns with a beautiful golden sheep ornament, which is the logo for the store. And in fact, he puts three of them into a, you know, one of those fancy gift bags and we thank him. And there's another sales lady in the store and we thank her and we leave the store and, um, the whole encounter probably took maybe 10 minutes, maybe a little bit less. And, um, yep. It almost felt like as we were leaving the store and pushing the stroller, like I wasn't even, I was like walking a couple inches off the ground. Like I just felt like I had been lifted somehow by the encounter and I knew I would have to think about it a little bit later. So here's where we return to that sidebar of having two opposing responses to something good coming our way. I I love the setup, uh, Rebecca, but I think this is probably a perfect time to take a break and we'll come back and we'll hear exactly um, what you've got in store for us. Dr. Rebecca Ree is our guest. Take a short break and be right back. back with Dr. Rebecca Ree. She loves literature. She loves words. She loves telling many stories of observations and experiences she has through the lens of scripture. And we're returning to a fascinating story. You've set this up really well, Rebecca. Where do we go from here? So um, I'm explaining how um, we've just been given a Christmas ornament by a sales mm-hmm. uh, salesperson um, from a very fancy store. And um, I had a couple of responses to this act of kindness as we left the store. And the first thing I felt was um, such gratitude um, that even though I never said anything about my son, that salesman certainly saw, it was like my son was illuminated for him beneath that fancy life fixture. Like he saw something there and he chose to be kind and he chose to shine a light into a dark corner mm. And instead of rendering judgment, he chose to assign worth to my son. And by exercising the best of his humanity, he applied balm to my heart. Um, He let a mother know that not everybody in the world is bound to treat her son badly for his differences. And that meant everything to me. But the second thing I felt was, you know, exhaustion, like this bone deep emotional weariness, which is like the polar opposite. (laughs) And the surprise of the salesman's kindness made me realize how much the exception, I believe his response is to the rule. Um, 
how I keep my guard up inside 99% of the time. How many times my son has melted down in public and I can feel the eyes of other people on us, how I can feel them rendering their verdicts without benefit of our side of the story, without knowing, you know, our daily struggle. And that left me thinking, well, I think I know what to do with the gratitude side of the coin, but what do I do with the exhaustion and pain side? You know, where do I go with that? So it just left me looking at this golden sheep um, ornament when I got home. And, um, you know, I was thinking, where do I go with that? And, you know, you, with, you know me by now, Bill, whenever I ask where do I go with something, I usually lands me somewhere in scripture and it usually lands me with a story. And the story that it led me to is the golden calf story in Exodus 32, um, because the golden sheep sheep reminded me of the golden calf. And the context, so that's Exodus 32, and the context of that story is that the people of Egypt have just been delivered out of slavery, I mean, people of Israel, sorry, and they've just been delivered out of Egypt, slavery in Egypt, and they've been brought to the desert, and Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai to receive all the moral teaching and legislation that Israel needs to become a strong and healthy nation like none other on the face of the earth. And he's been up there over a month with God, because as you can imagine, this is like, it's a very involved process. And people at the foot of the mountain are getting really antsy. So I'm just going to read to you a little of the text there. It said, now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, come, make us a God who will go before us as this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand, made it into a molten calf, and they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, I have to confess to you, I've made my own kind of harsh snap judgments myself (laughs) that I've just been talking about about other people when I've read this passage about Israel. And I think to myself, well, didn't they just see God part the sea? (laughs) And didn't he just see, didn't they just see him send the 10 plagues against Egypt on their behalf? And didn't they just see him miraculously provide food and water? And didn't they just see the, the, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud? And, you know, not only that, how can they worship something that they actually saw constructed before their very eyes out of something that they were wearing on their bodies. Like, like how did that work? You know, so I've been thinking about that for a while and I realized, you know, I think it has something to do with underestimating the hold of the slave experience on, on their heart. You know, the hold of the slave experience on their heart. Because being a slave was all that they knew for a very long time. And if you think about it, it got very, very bad at the end, right before their deliverance. Remember what happened with Pharaoh? He said, oh, no, now you're going to have to make the bricks without the straw. Mm-hmm. You know, it got really, really bad at the end. So when they were emancipated, it was a very sweeping and sudden um, event. They were sort of ripped out of one world and deposited in another. And 
I kind of see an analog between that and how we get saved. You know, think about what happened. It's, it's a very sweeping and sudden event. You know, Paul in the book of Colossians says, God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. It's like, you know, it's just like a transaction that happens in a sweeping gesture. Um, it happens very suddenly and in a very, um, you know, um, expansive way. Um, and after so many years of slavery, op- oppression, and addiction, um, I don't think they maybe quite knew what to, how to handle it when it came. And the same may, may be true for us. You know, the old ways may seem safer. Working with what we know, with what comes out of us, um, may seem like the better option. Um, in other words, I'm wondering whether the Israelites were experiencing the second thing that I was feeling at the mall when I was given the golden sheet. You know, maybe what they felt with this, like, stinging clarity was just how scared and in pain they had been in for years and how tightly they had been holding on and how those feelings were only magnified every day Moses was tarrying on the mountain. Um, so... You know, some of us may cope with those intense PTSD kind of feelings um, when something good happens because, you know, that something good happened, they, they got delivered out um, by getting busy. We may make to-do lists. We may start another project, however worthy. We may throw ourselves into anything to avoid any real reflection or self-care. Um, when God lays his finger of mercy on an old wound, we may wriggle away. Uh, rather than submit to his ministrations. But there's a cost to doing that. And I wanted to refer back to the text that I read, and you might have heard it when I was reading it. Aaron says, tear off. The Hebrew word is parach. He says, tear off the golden rings that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. I don't know if you heard that. And this is in stark contrast to how Moses collects materials for the tabernacle because when he is building the tabernacle, he says, for every man whose heart moves him, you know, let him bring something. So he basically just puts out a call. Hey, if your heart so moves you, come and bring something, bring it, and we'll do something with it. Very, very different. So it made me just think, you know, was everyone willing, a willing donor to this cause? Were they like tearing stuff out of people? I just feel like even before the golden calf was like constructed and went up and everybody started bowing down to it, something very dark was already going on. Um, just something very dark was going on in, in, in people's hearts. And there was a very dark exchange going on at this very moment of something good has happened and it's released some kind of tension and some kind of pressure point and people have to decide how they're going to respond so as I was staring at my golden sheep, I realized the same choice confronts me as did those Israels, Israelites at the bottom of Mount Sinai. You know, I can either try to, as I say to my son, use my words, no matter how hard it is to try to get them out, no matter how, you know, caustic or corrupt or inadequate they may seem, you know, I have to try to express to God how badly I want to bolt, you know, rather than hold his hand and walk the path ahead of me with him, like always with him, 
you know, safely and appropriately. Or the other choice is I can tear some part of myself away and give it to a false god like busyness or fear or unbelief, you know, all in the effort not to feel the pain and exhaustion that breaks through sometimes in the wake of a blessing. But more often it breaks through after a long and grueling struggle. So, like, what's it going to be? Is it going to, you know, because I can tell you two things for sure. Moses is up there receiving something good for you. And he is on his way down to give it to you. Revelation is on its way down. And even if that revelation involves some pain, we need that light of truth and that honesty to to walk in a life-giving relationship with God. We need to stand under that chandelier if we're going to get the golden sheep. And the other thing I can tell you for sure is if God loves you half as much as we love our boy, he will never, ever leave you to your own devices as you try to navigate your world, your shopping mall, Hmm. with all your deficits. Thank you for uh, spending time with me today, and I hope you uh, have a wonderful rest of the day and a great week. All right. Thank you so much, Bill. You bet. Dr. Rebecca Ree has been my guest. You can go to her website, which is RebeccaRee.net. She spells her last name R H. E-E. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.